We'll multiply like Norma. 10, 15, how we doing today? Everybody feeling good? Ian, I wanted to tell you hey when you walked in the door. So I'll tell you hey now. How are you doing? Good to see your whole family. Hey, well, hey, before we get started today, I got a couple quick announcements. You want to put these down in your calendar. Ladies in the room, we have our women's retreat coming up. All right, a couple of people. Fella, okay. Um, fellas, when I say men's retreat, I want y'all to get louder than them, okay? But, but I'll, I'll give you another chance. I'll give you another chance, all right? Ladies in the room, we have our women's retreat coming up. Hey, so make sure you mark your calendars July 13th through, or Thursday, July 13th through Saturday, July 15th. Now, this is what we need you guys to know. Because of the facility that we were able to rent, we can only take 28 ladies this year. All right, so make sure you sign up for that. Make sure you get your names in. Fellas in the room, we have, listen, I didn't say it yet. I, didn't, I, was, I was priming the pump. That was like, fellas in the room, y'all ready, all right? We have our men's retreat coming up. Guys, guys, now now I know why our wives get mad at us as much as they do. Because I told you it was coming. I told you that you needed to get loud. And you still were delayed. All right. Paul's on the keys. I think guys get distracted. So we're going to try it again. Guys are probably distracted by the keys. and My wife's calling me out. If y'all She's over here going, you think? Yeah, babe, I, I think. Fellas, we have our men's retreat coming up. Yeah! All right, back to the keys. Okay, now I can finish the announcements. No, August 17th through uh, Saturday, August the 19th. So make sure, honestly, make sure that you uh, put those dates on your calendar. We want to make sure that, that everyone that can go uh, will be able to sign up for that. Also, we have our new service times coming up uh, the first Sunday in March. And I was told uh, this morning during first service that that's next Sunday. So next Sunday, we have our new service times, 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m., all right? If you come early, we're just going to ask you to come set up, all right? So make sure you make uh, schedule those 9 a.m. and 10 30 a.m. I would say this man consider going to that first service uh, obviously you look around the room it's packed in here we're trying to fill that first service more and more so we thought bumping it back 15 minutes might give you guys an opportunity to self-select to go there but last week uh, Chris Hazlett brought a, a phenomenal message as we wrapped up our altar series and and what I loved about that entire series was the response that we had each and every week and there were people at the altar every single week. What I noticed was this. Marriages were restored at the altar every week. Friendships were made whole at the altar every single week. God moved in people's lives at the altar every single week. I had the opportunity to pray over businesses week in and week out. I prayed over futures week in and week out. I prayed over individuals who rededicated their life to Jesus week in and week out. But let me be very, very clear. Just because we're going out of our stepping out of our altar series doesn't mean that the altar is closed. Listen, the altar of God is always open. The altar experience is never over, and the Holy Spirit is still working. We're, we're just getting started. Thank you, somebody, one person. They, they believed me. Uh, but man, we're just getting started. Next week, we're stepping into our crossover series. Uh, so make sure you kind of schedule that. But today, we kind of have a one-off message. And, and I want to talk about saying yes to generosity. Saying yes to generosity. You're like, really, Pastor? 
You're going to start talking about money. What are you trying to do? Run people out of the church? No, I'm just trying to preach the fullness of the Bible. You heard what Josh Randall said when he stood up there. If we, if we believe in the Word of God, then we're going to talk about everything from Genesis to Revelation. And today, I want to talk about God's way of handling money. Listen, if you're a visitor in the room, you, don't tune me out. You need this message too. But I'm, I'm speaking directly to the individuals that call Multiply Lake Norman home. All right? Some pastors are afraid to talk about money. I get excited when we talk about money because I want people to make sure they step into the fullness of what God has for them. There's four things that I'm, I'm particularly grateful for, and the first thing that I'm grateful for is that someone told me about the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. Someone introduced me to Jesus, and my life was forever changed. I'm so thankful that God brought Jenna into my life, and everybody said, amen. And she's like, dear God. <laughs> I'm so thankful that someone taught me how to pray and hear from the Holy Spirit and have discernment in my life. Someone taught me to have a, a prayer life and a devotional life. But I'm also grateful that someone taught me about God's way of handling money. I mean, think about the state that our economy is in. Anybody take a look at the stock market lately? If you haven't, let me, let me fill you in. It's atrocious, all right? Has anyone looked at their 401k? If you haven't, don't do it. I made the mistake. For about 18 months, I was good. I would get the piece of mail, and I'd just like, nope, not open to that. Nope, not open to that. About a month ago, I decided to open it. That was a mistake. I've put more, more money in than what's actually in there now. That's never a good, anybody, no? Maybe you're just feeling my pain. I'm seeing like some heads. You haven't opened it. Do what Brian does. Don't do what I do, all right? Don't, don't open that thing. But why, why talk about the topic of money? Listen, it's important for us to talk about all the topics in the Bible and, and from a biblical perspective. I'm going to talk about sin if you come to this church. I'm going to talk about the judgment of God in this church, but I'm also going to talk about the love and the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus displayed. I'm going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. I'm going to talk about generations and leaving a legacy. I'm going to talk about pneumatology. I'm going to talk about the eschaton. That's why we stepped into our Revelation series. I'm going to talk about the Trinity, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about the fullness of the Bible, and one of those topics is how to biblically handle money. Let me give you a few statistics. Did you know that the number one cause of divorce in America is money fights and money problems? Money fights and money problems, number one cause of divorce in America. Only 30% of U.S. households have long-term financial plans. How about this stat? Only 24% of millennials show signs of basic financial literacy. What a weird concept to teach basic financial principles to the next generation. 39% of Americans would have a hard time covering an unexpected cash expense of $400 or more. At age 30, the average millennial student loan debt is 45% of their household income. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus talked a lot about money. In fact, there are over 2,350 verses on money in the Bible. That's twice as many of, as those devoted to faith and prayer combined. Combined. Could you imagine, you imagine a pastor stepping up on a Sunday morning and talking about finances twice as much as he talked about prayer? Could you imagine that? What if a pastor came up and talked twice as much about money as he did about faith? I would venture to say that the church wouldn't be that full. But Jesus talked about money 2,350 different times throughout Scripture. I figure if it was good enough for Jesus to talk about, then it's good enough for us to talk about. 
Randy Alcorn says this. He said, the issue of money and possession lie, possessions lies at the very heart of the Christian life. Martin Luther went on to write this. There must not only be a conversion of the heart and the mind, but also a conversion of the purse. One pastor put it this way. Show me where you spend your time, your money, and your energy, and I'll show you what you actually worship. I want to encourage you today that this is not a message to condemn anyone or to call anyone out. This is simply a teaching of a biblical concept with the hope that we'll lean into what we feel like Jesus is telling us. Let me tell you what this message is not. This message is not something that you should just sit back and listen to halfway. It's not a message that you should listen to alone, especially if your significant other or spouse is with you. And this is not a message to where I'm only talking to one demographic or age group. I'm talking to every single person in the room. So let's ask this question. How much fear, stress, and anxiety in our lives are tied to money? Now, I think for some of us, it could be on different levels. For example, I think there's people in the room that, man, you're just worried about living paycheck to paycheck. You're just worried about paying the bills. You're just worried about making it to the next Friday or to the first or the 15th. But there's some people in the room that your family structure's a little different. And when you think of money, where your mind goes is, man, I've got I've to save for my kids' future. I've got to save for their college. I've got to pay for their weddings one day. I want to buy them a car one day. And your focus is putting your family in a healthy financial situation. And guess what? All of those things are okay. And in fact, I would say that they're all biblical. We can talk about managing our emotions. We can talk about generations. We can talk about altars. We can talk about living for more. But we're also going to take a look at the biblical perspective of money. Now, in lieu of meeting in a school like we do and, and me reading to my five-year-old, I thought we would have some good old-fashioned story time. I was going to ask 20 or so people to come up here. Y'all remember sitting crisscross applesauce in school? I figured I would ask some people to come up here and sit down, but I, I thought, like, looking at the crowd, if I asked the wrong people, they wouldn't be able to get up after they, they got down there. So we're just going to let you, you sit in your seats. Hey, now, if you know who this person is, don't be that person that gives it away. All right, don't just shout out the answer. Y'all, did y'all, I didn't like that person in school when the teacher would, like, ask a question and nobody was supposed to shout out the answer, but that person just wanted to sound smarter than everyone else. Y'all know the person I'm talking about? Don't shout out the answer if you know it. If you, do, if you don't know it, make me feel good and say you don't know it, all right? Does anyone know who Theodore Geisel is? Theodore Geisel. Raise your hand. if You, you can raise your hand. Okay, you were here in last service. That doesn't count. We got one person, two people. Yeah, but you're a teacher. Anybody else know who Theodore Geisel is? Another person? We got, okay, raise your hand if you really know who it is. Three people? You know? Well, you know because I've been practicing at the house. Okay. Theodore Geisel, none other than Dr. Seuss. So today I figured we would read a story from Dr. Seuss himself. And, and this book is called Ten Apples on Top. Now, if you're a parent in the room, who reads to their kids at night? Yeah, read to your kids at night. Uh, here's the problem. The older your kids get, they want you to read more books. And then they start using the books as an excuse for you to stay in the room and for, you to, for them to stay up longer. So in my household, what happens is, Typically, it's Jenna, but Jenna will go read, Jenna will read Piper two books or so, and then Piper will go, I want to read another one. And it's funny listening to Jenna read the third book, because I swear she skips over half the book and reads it at a, at a pace that I can't comprehend it. Any other parents in the room do that? Yeah? Okay. So if I read this book and I start speeding up, all right, it's just because I'm just trying to get through it so we can get back to the sermon. But this has a good implication on what we're talking about today. It's called Ten Apples on Top. 
So let me read this to you. One apple up on top, two apples up on top. Look, you, I can do it too. Look, see, I can do three. Three, three, I see, I see. You can do three, but I can do more. You have three, but I have four. Look, see, now I can hop with four apples on top, and I can hop on a tree with four apples up on me. Look here, you two. See here, you two. I can get five up on top. Can you? I'm so good I will not stop. Five, now six, now seven up on top. Seven apples up on top. I'm so good I will not drop. Five, six, seven. What fun, what fun. Seven, six, five, four, three, two. You're listening. But see, we are as good as you. Look now, we have seven, two. Now see here, eight, eight on top. Eight apples up on top. Not one will drop. Eight, eight. Now we can skate. Look, now we can skate with eight, but I can do nine and hop and drink. You cannot do this, I think. We can, we can, we can do it too. See here, we are as good as you. We are all very good, I think, with nine. We will all hop and drink. Nine is very good, but then we come on and make it ten. Look, ten apples up on top. We are not going to let them drop. Look out, look out, I see a mop. I see a mop. This is where we skip ahead, you know, as a parent. Out of our way, we cannot stop. We cannot let our apples drop. This is not good. What will we do? They want to get all of our apples too. They will get them if we let them come. We cannot let them get our apples. Look out, look out, the mop, the mop. You cannot stop our apple fun. Our apples will not drop. No, not one. Come on, come on, come on, all We have to make their apples fall. They must not get our apples down. Come on, come on, let's get out of town. Apples, apples up on top. All of this must stop, stop, stop. Now all of our fun is going to stop. Our apples all are going to drop. Now why do I take three or four minutes to read this kid's book? It's because I I feel like there's some implications that we can learn from it in our life. I mean, what I see in the book is the first part. There's these characters that are competing to see who can get the most apples. How can they acquire all of these apples? How can they acquire more things? You ever seen a kid at a birthday party start opening up and, and ripping into those presents? What happens when they get to the last present? They want another present. You see a kid at Christmas, they get to the last present. Is that, is that it? And they don't do it like, kind of like maliciously. They, they, is, there another, is there something else for me to open? They want to acquire more. You ever notice a kid at a grocery store? And they want to get everything and put everything in the, in the buggy. Some of y'all are like, what in the world is a buggy? <laughs> Raise your hand if you know what a buggy is. You found the Lord. Raise a hand if you know what a shopping cart is. You need Jesus. All right? <laughs> Two hands up, man. I don't take Piper to the grocery store anymore, by the way. Because if I take Piper in the grocery store, she wants to stop and get everything on every aisle. Anybody else with kids do that? They don't take their kids to the grocery store anymore? That's why we do pickup. But then in our lives, we, we grow up a bit, and we get our first job. But then we have to acquire more apples. Why? We need the raise. We need the promotion. Then inevitably what happens is you see someone on social media that takes that dream vacation that you wanted to take. You're like, man, I got I to acquire more apples. I got to get more stuff so I can take that vacation. I need to make more so that I can do 
that. If you're like me, you watch HGTV and you see Chip and Joanna Gaines and all of a sudden you need to acquire more apples so that you can build your house like the ones that they're building. Except I don't have tools and I don't know how to use them, all right? So you pay people to do stuff like Alex. Thank you, Alex. You have a kid or maybe you're adding a kid to the family. You need more apples. I'm going to have Pastor Manny and Pastor Keith come up and and help me with this next part of the illustration because I think the second part of the book what we see is we see people trying to chase uh, individuals or chase the characters to get their apples y'all didn't switch oh you're keeping it the same this is going to be y'all are going to laugh I think I hope but I want I want Pastor Manny to kind of act like the world does when it comes to our apples or things we acquire Because again, the second part of the book, what was happening? The characters were trying to get everyone else to stay away from their apples. If you're a parent in the room, the kids are always after your apples. They're saying, Dad, I need need some money. Dad, I need my allowance. Dad, I need to go on that field trip. I got soccer club. I've got travel sports. I got the high school dance. You got to pay for my dress. And then the bills are after your apples. That mortgage payment, it's after your apples. That car payment is after your apples. Duke Energy, Verizon, Penny Mac, Sally Mae, Wells Fargo, Spectrum, Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus. Some of you are planning for a wedding. It's after your apples. And if you're a parent in the room, you go on date night. But date nights are expensive because now you have to pay for a babysitter. They're after your apples. What season are we in now? Some of you are like, I don't know and I don't want to know. We're in tax season. The government is after your apples. The government's after your taxes. <laughs> but what about your savings in your 401k? What about your kids' savings account? What about your college fund? You got room for any more? You got? You got? What about your spouse wanting to go to Target? <laughs> what about those Amazon boxes that show? Well, you don't have enough room for the Amazon boxes, do you? <laughs> Just give me, give me the Amazon. But this is this is the Amazon coming after your. Y'all give, it up, y'all give it up for Pastor Manny. You can take those. But then we come to church. You got paid on Friday. It's only Sunday. You had 10 apples when you got paid, but now you're down to the core of one. Because everything's been allocated. Everything's been accounted for. And then someone comes up here like Josh Randles or Brian King or Sam Sanchez and they're receiving tithe and offering, and all you have is this half-eaten apple. Y'all give it up for Pastor Keith as well. You want to take a bite of that? No? Our culture will tell you two different things. Our culture will tell you that your goal should be to get as many apples as possible and to keep everyone away from everything you acquire. That's what our culture tells us. But what if there was a different way to live? Again, all of those things that I mentioned before, the savings, the kids, the date nights, all of those things aren't bad. Well, other than taxes, those might be, those might be bad. Date nights aren't bad. Getting a sitter isn't bad. Savings aren't bad. You have to pay your bills. I understand that. And if you have kids, Netflix and Disney Plus keep you sane, right? Again, all of these things are just a part of life, but it's the order in which we approach them. Today I'm going to talk about tithe and I'm going to talk about kingdom builders and the difference between those. So let's see what kingdom culture says opposed to what our culture says. 
We're going to be in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And scripture reads like this, Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? And tithes and offering, God says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe. Let me be clear, scripture says the whole tithe, not part of the tithe, not what makes you feel comfortable giving, but the whole tithe. Into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. By the way, I'll pause here. Many people have heard this said before, but if you haven't, let me remind you. There's one place in the entirety of scripture that God says to test him, and it's in this moment. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be, deli- will be a delightful land, says the Lord. So let me give you another illustration. I know you had Pastor Keith and you had Pastor Manny and they, they showed the apples and obviously Manny was kind of biting into it. We read 10 apples on top. So obviously we're going to stick with this theme of apples. And for just a moment, everyone in the room, I don't care what your paycheck says, I don't care how many zeros are behind the number, we're all going to be in agreement that everyone starts out with 10 different apples. Again, regardless of what your paycheck is, we all have 10 different apples. And as we study through this and read through this, we see in verse 10 that Scripture says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Well, what is the tithe? We have to look at Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. And Scripture tells us that the tithe is 10% of everything that we bring in. And Scripture also tells us that the first 10% is called to go directly to God. So if we have these 10 apples on this table, this golden apple represents the tithe. This golden apple represents the 10% that's supposed to go to God first. Again, verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Biblically, let's lean in this morning, and and I want to take a look at what the tithe is. And and to start to understand what the tithe is, we're going to take a look at what the tithe is not. What the tithe is not, the tithe is not time. The, The tithe is not a charitable contribution to a radio station or to Red Cross. The tithe is not money that you give to a relative to help them out. The tithe is not putting your kids in private school. The tithe is not a giving tree or salvation army. In our structure as a church, the tithe is not even kingdom builders. The tithe is the first 10%. Kingdom builders in our structure is everything above and beyond your tithe. Again, the list that I just mentioned, all of those things are good and wonderful, but Scripture says it's after you tithe. Let's take a look. What does Scripture say about keeping the tithe? When I keep the tithe, number one, when we keep the tithe, we are robbing God. Verse 8 says, will a mere mortal rob God? These aren't my words, by the way. I didn't like try to make some flashy language to put on the slide. I'm just telling you what Scripture says. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And tithes and offerings, you are under a curse in your whole nation because you are robbing me. Uh, My wife and I own a couple different businesses. I know there's many business owners in the room. But for just a moment, let's act like we all own our own business. And if you had a business and an employee was stealing from you, how would that affect the relationship with you had with them? If you had an employee in your business and that employee was stealing from you, would you give them a promotion? 
Would you give them more opportunity? Would you give them more leadership responsibility? I'm seeing, Bryson, you're the only one that's answering me. Bryson's like, no, I would not. Bryson, how old are you? 13. Bryson's smarter than everybody else in the room. He's only 13. He's like, no, I would not. We, we wouldn't do it. When we keep the tithe, we also understand that blessing is withheld. Now, this isn't some prosperity gospel, name it and claim it kind of nonsense, because I don't believe in that. But I do believe in what Scripture says in verse 10, to bring the whole tithe. Not to give what you think, not to give what makes you feel comfortable, but to bring the whole tithe. And again, in Leviticus 27.30, we understand that the tithe is the first 10%. Now, growing up, many of you guys have kind of heard my story. My parents divorced. They split up. When my parents split, uh, my dad got absolutely everything. My dad got 70 acres. My dad got the house. My dad got all the cars. My dad got all the accounts. My mom got me and my sister. <laughs> all right? It was a drastic transition. So I grow up from living in the middle of the woods and 70 acres, riding four-wheelers every day, to living in a single-wide home that when we bought it, there was a hole in the floor, and my grandfather had to come over and put a piece of plywood underneath the carpet so that the, the hole, like, we literally wouldn't fall through the hole. These drastic differences. I vividly remember the moments that my mom would kind of go to work, and she would work a double. She was a waitress. She would work this double shift. And she would come home, I'd pick my sister up from school, and she had, y'all have seen waitresses, how they have those little things, that they, those little aprons they tie around their back, you know, they hold like a little pad to take your orders on, and they had their pins, they have like 74 different pins right here, and then they put their, their tips or their change kind of in one of those pouches, and I remember my mom coming home, and she would kind of untie that apron, and she would just kind of turn it upside down on the kitchen table, and there would be, some days it was like, man, floodgates, right? Other days it was like clinking and clanking. Because some people tithe in quarters and dimes, right? But regardless of what came in, my mom would have to pay the bills. My mom would have to feed me and my sister. She'd have to try to put clothes on our back, try to put gas in the car. Now, sometimes times were tough. But we had some delicacies that we ate. One of the delicacies was, was Cheetos and ketchup. It's something that I still do to this day, and my wife makes fun of me for it. Another delicacy that we had uh, we would take bananas, and my mom, I don't, we always had, like, American sliced, it didn't matter how hard times were, we always had, like, sliced American cheese in the refrigerator. But my mom would take a banana, take a piece of cheese out of the little wrapper, the singles, right, wrap it around the banana, and that's what I ate as a snack. Some of you are like, what in the world? I don't know, that's just what we ate, all right? We were living high class when we had cottage cheese, salt and pepper, salt and pepper, and cut up little Vienna sausages and put it in it. Like, that was a delicacy in our house, and some of you are looking at me like, dear Lord, but that's just how I grew up. But regardless of all of that, we would go to church on Sunday. My mom was a church of a couple thousand people. We would always sit up in the balcony. And uh, my mom would take out her couple dollars and her couple coins. And as that old school plate passed by that was like gold plated, my mom would drop her, drop her couple bucks in. She would drop her change in. Didn't matter how hard the week was before, how financially hard was the week before, she would always tithe. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This is what I've come to learn watching my mom growing up, giving God can't trust you with more until he can trust you with what you have. I've never met an angry giver. 
I've never met someone who regretted giving through the church financially. But I also understand this. When we keep the tithe, you feel like you can never get ahead. Verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. When we tithe, God prevents pests from devouring. Now again, that doesn't mean that life isn't going to have financial challenges because we've all experienced them. Let me be very clear. When we talk about the tithe and giving, that doesn't mean that life gets easy. It doesn't mean that all your financial troubles magically, God waves this wand and it goes away. What it means is that God's after your heart. God's not after your money. God's after your obedience in your heart. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not worried or concerned with how much you make. And again, those financial challenges aren't going to go away. And many of you have experienced it. Do you all know what Murphy's Law is? Murphy's Law is anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And some of y'all feel like Murphy moved into your like, spare bedroom at your house. You know, like, Zach, what are you talking about? Well, for some of us, I mean, you get that flat tire and you get to the tire store thinking you're going to get a patch and it's going to cost like 50 bucks. And they like make some excuse, well, sir, the screw is like in the wheel well and we can't, pa-. you can patch it. All right. I know you can. Anybody ever experienced that? You're like, nope, you can patch that one. You go back, patch it. I don't care. If it blows, it blows. Patch it. I'm not spending $250 on a tire. I want a $50 patch. And some, some of y'all are like, the water heater goes out at the house. I'm not paying for it. We're taking cold showers. I, we ain't paying for the water heater right now. Murphy's Law, something's going to go wrong. Maybe you're driving down the road and the motor blows in your car. And you're thinking, that's fine. We'll just get it fixed. It'll be a couple thousand dollars. No, it's $27,000 later to fix the motor in your car. No, it didn't happen to y'all. It just happened to me. All right, cool. Murphy's living in my house, not yours. Some of y'all are like, man, I need a, I need a new roof. Had to pay for a new roof recently. Had to get a new HVAC system because it went out in your house. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm talking to two people right now. They know who I'm talking to. It's the Hudsons. <laughs> but let me be very clear. Things are still going to happen regardless of if we tithe or not. But I recognize this. When I keep the tithe, ideas, ventures, and projects never seem to pan out or yield fruit. Verse 11b says this, And the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. Right. Listen, I believe everyone in the room should have a side hustle. I, I'm a firm believer in multiple avenues of income, but I'm also a firm believer of the right order. See, this is what happens sometimes. We want to take the tithe that's supposed to go to God, and we say, oh, we have some extra income that we're supposed to tithe, but you know what? I'm going to take this, and I'm going to try to start a business. And then we wonder why the business never pans out. We, know, we wonder why the business never gains traction. It's because we're taking something that belongs to God and trying to produce something for ourselves. Do you believe in what you can produce or do you believe in what God can produce? Again, I'm not saying that side hustles are bad. I'm not saying that start, I, I start businesses. We have side hustles, but we have to do it properly and in order. What is the tithe? It's the first 10%. The first fruits goes to God. Again, think of Manny up here eating Keith's apples. Right? And the problem is, if we're not careful, we come to church with the leftovers. We come to church with the core. We come to church with anything that we have left in our hands, opposed to taking the first fruits to God. This past week, I got a couple extra checks for um, some speaking engagements that I did. And I was in the middle of practicing the sermon. And Jenna kind of nonchalantly, I wrote this exactly down. She like nonchalantly walks by and she goes, hey, make sure you tithe off of those. And, I was, and this was my response. I have to, especially since I'm preaching on it this week. And she stopped dead in her tracks, looked at me and says, you don't have to, you get to. 
all right, why don't you get up here and preach then? <laughs> right? Y'all shout that down. All right, well. But, man, she was absolutely right. I don't have to tithe. I get to tithe. I don't have to partner with God. I get to partner with God. So let's take a look at the other side of this. So what about the blessing of the tithe? The blessing of the tithe is this. Your needs will be met. Verse 10a, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. What I'm understanding walking through scripture is this, that there's never any lack in the kingdom of God. You and I aren't called to have a scarcity mindset. And the problem is we can look at the economy and go, well, I don't know what the economy is going to do. So I'm, go- I'm, gonna ha- I'm taking all of mine and I'm going to take it over here. I did that without dropping anything. Y'all give me a round of applause or something. But I'm, I'm going to guard mine. I, I don't know what's going on in the economy. I'm, I'm going to guard mine. If you're like Curtis Wise, you take all the money out of your bank account and put it under your mattress. I'm, I'm guarding mine. Church needs money. Well, church, church, church is going to have to wait until the economy gets better. God's going to have to wait. God, I can't do it right now. I got to wait two more years. Some of y'all will get that joke later. I don't, I don't know what's going on, so I, I, need to, I need to protect mine. God's saying, hey, I'm not, asking, I'm not asking for everything. I'm not asking for all you have. I'm just asking for the first fruits. And in fact, I don't really even need your money. I just want your obedience. The blessing of the tithe opens the floodgates of heaven. Verse 10b, the, the second part of verse 10. And see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'm understanding this, we can't outgive God. I told you about my story growing up with my mom, and I talked about the bananas with cheese, I talked about the Vienna sausages, talked about the way we grew up. But looking back, man, God's hand of provision and blessing was on our lives. We never lacked. I've been blessed beyond measure. But giving the tithe activates God's pest control. Verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring my crops. In my notes, in blue, it says, Brian Vaughn's ears just perked up. Start talking about some pest control. We have uh, Brian come to our house uh, once a month because he owns the best pest control company in North Carolina and soon to be in Virginia. Uh, But Brian owns this company called Vaco. And he comes out uh, because we don't want any pests in our house. So he sprays for anything and everything that crawls around inside and outside. I learned this a couple weeks ago. I texted him. I said, hey, Brian, do you treat for termites? And he said, yeah, why? And I started thinking about uh, kind of this analogy, but I don't want to be sitting on my front porch reading a book, drinking coffee, having my girls play in the yard, and then all of a sudden, like, I hear this chewing noise. And I hear termites eating away at the foundation of my house. It doesn't matter how well I decorate my house. I could have Joanna Gaines herself with all of her Target little stuff that my wife wants to buy in our house. But if termites are chewing at the foundation of our house, then none of that stuff matters. Listen, the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that. He wants to destroy the very foundation of our home, our joy, our peace, our kids, our finances. If you own a business, he wants to destroy it all. But God is out there spraying, getting the devil to stay away from the foundation. You like how I tied that in? Stay away from the foundation. Verse 11, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. 
the blessing of the tithe is this. The ideas, the projects, and the ventures that you begin will be brought to full fruition. Again, as long as they're not done out of order. Verse 11b, the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. Ripe. Keeping the tithe from God allows things to die on the vine, but giving the tithe first allows things to grow. Again, let me be clear. God does not want or need our money. He wants our obedience in our heart. The blessing of the tithe is a testimony of God's goodness to those around you. Verse 12 says this, Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. When you walked in, there was this Kingdom Builders book in your chair. Go ahead and pull those out. You can start thumbing through it. But this shows you everything that we're a part of in the local and global community. I can stand up here and I can talk about church plants. I can talk about our Easter and Christmas outreaches. I can talk about Gate Pregnancy Center and how last year 67 babies that were going to be aborted were born because of financial giving through this church and partnering with Gate Pregnancy Center. I can talk about Adult and Teen Challenge. I can tell you there's people in this church that have gone through Adult and Teen Challenge. What, you're like, oh, what is that? It's helping individuals break the chains of addiction. And I can tell you there's people serving in our church now who used to be addicted to cocaine, used to be addicted to heroin, and now they're set free. I can tell you about our global projects, and I can tell you about the church plants in Nicaragua and Zambia. By the way, Zambia's coming. I can tell you about our global projects, about Samaritan's Feet, BGMC, Convoy of Hope, Priority One, Speed the Light. I can tell you about all these projects. I can tell you about our future Christian leaders. I can tell you about Chi Alpha and how they meet at Good Drip Coffee every single week. I can tell you about Southeastern University students. I can tell you about youth mission trip scholarships. I can tell you about all of this stuff. All of this stuff is good. It's kingdom builders. But for us, this is above and beyond the tithe. What if we made, what if we made this proclamation? What if as a church, we said something along the lines of, I'm going to put God first in every area of my life, including giving. And you know what? I'm going to actually start tithing 10% like the Bible tells us to. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you. Randy Alcorn, I referenced him earlier, but he says this, if Christ is not Lord over your money and possessions, then he's simply not your Lord. I want to close with sharing this story by John Brevere in a book he wrote called Multipliers. He said, I have a friend named Mike He became a believer in Jesus Christ when he was 11 years old. However, he was unproductive in building the kingdom. He grew more and more dissatisfied with the state, with this state, and eventually at the age of 35, was so fed up with not making an eternal impact. Often those who reach this place immediately attempt to make the change without knowledge, wisdom, and faith. But wisely, Mike approached it differently. He determined that the first step to making a lasting impact was to fill the tank. So over the next six months, he memorized 2,000 verses of Scripture. Soon after this six-month period, he decided to attend a leadership conference in Phoenix, Arizona. He was so poor, he couldn't afford the hotel room and had a room with 11 students in a two-bedroom apartment. A special offering was taken during the conference, and the leader encouraged the delegates to pray about what to give. Mike heard the Lord say, I want you to give $200. And Mike protested, God, that's all I have. 
And the Lord gently replied, I'm not asking you to give anymore. So Mike obeyed and gave all the money he had. And God then instructed Mike to give $100 a month above his tithe for the rest of the year. Soon God started giving him strategic ideas and his new business began to steadily increase. The next year, Mike felt he should give $400 a month of his, uh, above his tithe to build the kingdom. A year later, that amount went to $1,000 a month above his tithe. The next year, it went to $4,000 per month above his tithe. The following year, it went to $10,000 a month above his tithe. At this point, Mike asked the Lord for the ability to give $10 million to the kingdom. It seemed like a huge request, almost unattainable. But he was shocked, firm in his belief and his request. However, what he heard in his heart shocked him. Son, why are you boxing me in? He felt the Lord was telling him. So Mike removed the limits and believed for even more. Soon afterward, his giving started to rapidly escalate. The next year, he gave close to $17,000 per month above his tithe. That became $25,000 a month, then $40,000, then $50,000. Eventually, Mike gave $100,000 per month above his tithe to build the kingdom. Revere writes this, the last time I talked to him, he had hit a new level of $150,000 per month above his tithe. Bevere goes on to write, Mike has lived very well, but on roughly 10 to 15% of his income. <laughs> That's where I lost some of y'all, just there. You're like, Zach, what are you asking me to do? Live on 10 to 15%? No, I'm not. But I'm asking us to have the posture that, Mark, that Mike had. I'm asking you to be obedient to God and to take the limits off of him. I'm asking you to put God first in every 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 area of your life and financially the first thing that you do after you get paid is to tithe there's two goals that I have for our church now hear me again if you're visiting today man just hang out be a part but I'm specifically talking to the people that call multiply Lake Norman home what if what if one of our goals was everyone every family that attended this church that called it home what if 100% of those people actually tithe Every generation, every age group, every socioeconomic group. Because what I understand in Scripture is this. Through Malachi chapter 3, through Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30, the tithe is not up for negotiation. The tithe is a mandate. And then what about kingdom builders? Now with kingdom builders, that's a little different. That participation is between you and God. Do I want everyone to participate? Absolutely. But that number, that figure is between you and God. So here's how we're going to respond. They're going to put the giving slide up on the, the screen. They've put some buckets on the front of the stage. What I want you to do is take out that, that other car that says Kingdom Builders on it. I want to read through this for just a second. At Multiply Church, we serve locally and globally while continuing to look to the future. Kingdom Builders gives us an opportunity to share the good news with everyone in obedience to his word. Mark chapter 16, 15 says this, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. What we understand is this, it doesn't happen without sacrifice. Our kingdom builder's pledge is this, as a kingdom builder, I'm committing to generously give over and above the tithe, knowing that my resources are helping to advance the work of God's kingdom on earth. 
By pledging to be a kingdom builder, I am sacrificially giving towards initiatives that extend the reach of the gospel and transform lives for eternity. And that last statement, for 2023, I'm committing to give my tithe of 10% and monthly kingdom builder commitment of, and you can fill in your own blank there if you feel called to. But what I recognize is this, is, is that this is still a moment of worship. See, if we're not careful, we can separate the altar moments that we've had the last six weeks and remove that as if it's something different here and now. But what scripture tells us is that our giving is actually an act of worship. So as we step back in, as the worship team sings, this is what I would ask you to do. Take a look at those cards. If it's a commitment that you want to make to the Lord, then fill that out and drop it in the buckets and let that be our act of worship as we step back in.